baby. Welcome back to a tale of two rivals plus one. I am at FF underscore Banterman Todd Foster, your trash talking host. And we are bringing you a fantasy football podcast put on by the FF Spaceman and our always lovely FF Walrus. Gentlemen, how are we doing tonight? Living the dream. Teal two rivals. We're back again. Back to back weeks. We're hitting our stride, guys. Hitting our stride. Loving it. Feel like we had a few bumps in the road, but we are back on track, boys. Let's get into it. Guys, I went rogue with that opening. I don't know what happened there. I liked it. It felt right. Sorry I went rogue. It feels so good to see you guys. I wanted to introduce you guys this week. I wanted to do it. Dave, what's going on, man? Got anything to share with us? Yeah, been a busy week. Been on a couple podcasts. The Hammercast with Kevin at Boys 22 on Twitter. Kevin's awesome. He invited me on to do a rookie mock draft with John Bauer from fantasy confidential and the dynasty theory podcast a lot of fun kevin's a really sharp guy and john bauer's a a pro i really enjoy his insight that was a lot of fun and then over at rookie fever we're doing a lot we just had our 100 our 150th episode released on thursday and we're doing a bunch of rookie profiles so a lot of fun stuff happening over there make sure to check out uh we did one with on Devonta Smith this week. We did one on Jamar Chase. We've also done, I, I can't even keep up how many we're doing. It's three a week. Insane. Yeah, make sure to check out Rookie Fever. And then, guys, I'm going on Fantasy Players Club next week. Really excited for that. Check out Levi Valentin on Twitter. My second appearance on the Fantasy Players Club. I really enjoyed Dave's appearance on Hammerjacks as well. I was one of the viewers and I was reminding people of Dave's love of David Wilson on multiple occasions, which was fun. I'm going to be on with Kevin in a few weeks to talk about Debbie wide receivers, so that's going to be fun. Dave, I actually listened to the Marshall, the Hubbard, and the Moore profiles, and they were all great. But Zach Reed dropping a white chocolate reference about quickness. Uh, and then I end up talking to him. Sends me like a gift of him throwing a behind the back pass in like a men's league. And I was like, the fact that you have that readily available is phenomenal. Todd, he's a creative writing. He's a creative writing major. He's a poet with the words. So yeah, Zach Reed, Lloyd, longtime supporter and listener and an official friend of the show of Tale Two Rivals. And apparently the man just dropped dines in Maine back, back in the day, all day. I saw him play, I'm pretty sure, at the Bangor Auditorium during the, uh, the state tournament. that's phenomenal that's a great drop kenny what's going with you man yeah i just want to give a big shout out to a name that i'm probably going to butcher so apologies in advance to nazimbi mati who i don't know if you guys know this was one of the champion of the earth finalists this year because she designed a way to take recycled plastic waste which i'm not sure if you guys have noticed but the earth is basically effed because of plastics because of pollution and she's found a way to take that waste plastic and manufacture it into paving bricks that can be used for roads, but also for home construction in her native Kenyan country. I had to look that up. Sorry. Um, to solve the housing Kenyan? crisis. Did you say Kenyan country? I did. I was looking at Kenya. <laughs> I couldn't remember if it was Kenya or Nigeria, so I had to click back. But she's from Kenya. There's a housing crisis in Kenya, and she can use this recycled plastic to not only 
solve an eco crisis, but also solve a housing crisis with low cost, sustainable materials. Big shout out to her. She's only 29. That's that's impressive stuff, man. That's yeah, awesome. Wild. That's I mean, awesome. I too am 29 and I felt good about taking a shower today. So hats off to what other people can do because I'm not <laughs> getting it done. Uh, I remember 29. Do I? Oh, it was a long time ago. I feel bad following Sean after that. Like my stuff's going to be so petty now, but it is a fantasy football podcast, so I shouldn't feel too bad. Guys, my top, my top 100 Debbie finally dropped. I was super excited about it. That's out at IDP, guys. I also did a 2024 class, and I have a top 60 Superflex rookie rankings on there. So I'm ranking my life away, um, and I'm pretty warmed up for the show because last night I was on the IDP update with the one, the only, Joey the Tooth. And you would think that Joey and I have done podcasts together like multiple times. That was the first time we ever did it, and it felt right. First time you ever did it, huh? First time. Felt right. Felt During right. our time slot. They couldn't just wait till prom. Interesting. Nope. <laughs> it felt right. The chemistry with him, like, I don't know if I've had that before. Did you listen to music in the background? I had it in my head going the whole time. Todd just likes someone who kisses the rings. He just <laughs> likes someone who kisses the rings, and that's Joy the Tooth. Todd has uh, multiple rings? Yeah. I did have some drama happen to me on Twitter later in the evening, and I just want to apologize to Miles Garrett. Miles, I saw your basketball highlights. They were fantastic. Great handle. You look in great shape, buddy. Getting up there, looking like a Julius Peppers from back in the day. And all I wanted to let you know is, you know, I just noticed something with the jump shot. You're not like, you're kind of letting your wrist hang out. And I told you to snap your wrist in your video. And Twitter wanted to tell me I wished you bodily harm. Miles, no, never, man. You're my number one IDP guy in my co-manager league with Dave. I'm just trying to coach you up, buddy. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Twitter put me in jail for 12 hours for trying to coach up in hoops. I'm sorry, Miles. Never meant anything by it. Just want to make sure Miles Garrett and I are good. Todd was pretty upset. He- I, I was not <laughs> upset at all. I thought it was so hysterical. Like, I get it. It's an automated thing. You have wished harm on someone. No, it was a coaching tip, but whatever. Oh, no, no. Miles Garrett was in the middle of doing squats and saw your comment and reported it to Twitter. That's what happened. Yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> Todd, he's going to show up outside your house with a helmet, and I don't even know what you're going to do in that situation. I will not let you besmirch Miles Garrett here. That is getting edited out of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boo. Boo. On top of that, I'm not I'm not scared of his show muscles. I got this. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. <laughs> Kennedy, question of the day, buddy. Let's go. All right. So the question of the day, an on-the-spot question, because Dave, I was listening to the Rookie Fever podcast today, and you brought up a point that had me curious about mock drafts that you're seeing and predictions that people are making. And I can't remember exactly whose mock you were going off of and what the exact player. I think it was the Lions not taking a quarterback that had you particularly steamed. My question for you two, and I wish this had come up earlier so we could have wrapped it into last week, but we'll piggyback it right now, is how much do you pay attention to mocks right now? Because I know, like, for me, it's really hit or miss based on what I see. Like, anytime I see the Bengals taking anything but an offensive lineman, and Dave, I think you highlighted this in the Rookie Fever podcast too, it's just, it's bananas to me. I'm sorry, they're not going to take a guy who doctor said his knee was, quote, shredded. Because their offensive line was so bad. That's a big red flag for me. 
like who who's making these and how much are you paying attention to them? Because to me, some of them just seem utterly crazy. Like my wife could make a better one rolling dice and picking names out of a hat. I don't pay any attention to them at all. Not at all. Zero. Not even the, the big guys who even say it, who have direct ties to NFL organizations and get a insight from NFL execs, don't even care. Don't even care. Because one, you don't know if they're being misfed information. And two, even the most accurate mocks in the draft are like under 50% accurate. There are people in fantasy football in your leagues who are making decisions based on mock drafts. I've seen it done yep. in multiple leagues. Oh, we're seeing rumors. Bring this down. Oh, we saw the GM say something. So we're going to raise this guy up our rankings. Guys, this is misinformation season. I'm in the same boat as you, man. Like, I, I enjoy reading mock drafts, but it's just for, like, entertaining. Like, I don't use it as information that I think is, like, necessary or important. It's just something that makes me, like, ponder. One I like, so two of the things that I found most interesting about mock draft takes, I was on Twitter and I and I talked about, it was like Tony versus versus Moore. And I said that Moore is going to have more draft capital than Tony. And they're like, well, he should, but he won't. And I was like, why do you say that? They're like, every mock draft by like professionals that talk to the front offices are saying that Tony's going over more. I go, so every journalist is talking to G NFL GMs about where they're picking guys in February and they're offering up that information like they made that decision already? Did you think that through? Like, come on, man. You know what I mean? Don't be a sheep. Mock drafts mean nothing. Nothing. And then when you see a trade in a mock draft, that's oh, even funnier. It's that's even funnier. Worst. So bad, dude. Also, the one thing that makes me angry when I look at mock drafts is when I don't see Sewell being drafted by Miami. Drives me nuts. It just makes so much sense to me, but whatever. We could do this all night. I think there is a reasonable, there's like a mock draft index. Mock draft database. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that might be an okay tool, but it's still, it's February. It's masturbation. Mock drafts are masturbation. I care about the real thing, evaluating players, talking strategy. I want to score. I don't want to masturbate. It's when you have some spare time on your hands and nothing else to do. Home alone. What are you, what are you going to do? I'm gaming about how I'm going to score next. <laughs> Good Lord, man. Not all of us are like having fun with spreadsheets for hours, buddy. Sometimes you just want to kick back and just look at a mock and not take it seriously. So, but yeah, that's it. That's a good question, Sean. All right. So getting into tonight's topic, we're going to kick off a weekly series where we are going to give you our tiered rankings by position. Tonight, we're going to kick it off with the wide receivers because... I don't think anybody would disagree that is the most interesting position in this draft. We're not going to get into individual rankings. We're not going to go wide receiver one, two, three down the line because we want to wait till after the draft and we can fully evaluate the whole scope of the picture. So tonight, we are just going to bring you our tiered wide receiver consensus tale of two rivals rankings. So kicking off our tier one, three receivers checking in. They are Jamar Chase, Devonta Smith, and Rondell Moore. So Dave, I want to highlight a question here because Rondell Moore kind of slipped in on a mathematical technicality. You were the only one to have him in the tier one, but he averages in based on math. Now in your tiers, he sits alone in tier one with Jamar Chase. Anybody the rookie fever knows how high you are, how high Zach Reed is on Rondell Moore, but why is he the only one? Why does he qualify as tier one with Jamar Chase 
Why not Jalen Waddle? Why not Devonta Smith? Why just Rondell Moore? For those of you playing at home, get your bingo cards out. You know what's coming. Get ready to check it off. Age-adjusted production. Rondell Moore had it, baby. Broke out at age 18 as a true freshman, and he didn't just break out. He far eclipsed the 30% breakout age threshold for Rotoviz. He had a 37.2% of his college offense at age 18. Again, let's stress that, which essentially is he had an average of 37.2% of his team's receiving yards and receiving touchdowns combined, and an elite 1.66 yards per team attempt. And again, as a freshman, in the Big Ten, oh gosh, it, it's sexy. And then when I compare it to how does his production compare to t- successful NFL wide receivers, very, very favorably. And he produced at a much higher rate than other wide receivers from his conference. Love me some Rondell Moore. And then I turn to my Zach Reed film notes. Excellent release off the line of scrimmage. Can win versus man or zone. He's a playmaker. He's dynamic. And he doesn't necessarily need to be schemed up because he can make it happen no matter what the offense is trying to do. Zachary loves him. I love him. Love me some Rondale more. I get really excited about his potential upside because of his dynamism, his playmaking ability, and his potential for a high-volume role in an offense that wants to use him that way. But I also think he can have a nice, safe, reliable option out of the slot in PPR leagues. And when people need to remember, when we're talking about rookie drafts, nothing's a sure thing. We hit a lot out of the park last year, but that's not typical in your wide receiver drafts for rookies. I really like the combination of upside and floor with Rondell Moore, and I think he's going to be a value in rookie drafts at least early on. Let's see if people catch up to us. Let's go, baby. Rondell Moore, he's in my top tier. So let me let me follow up on a question there. I'm going to ask you to put your doctor spaceman hat on for a second because you mentioned the injuries, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think he's played in collectively under 12 games in the last two years, I think it is. And if it's not that, it's something close to that. That's going to raise some concern among NFL teams that might cause his draft stock to slide a bit. Is there any landing spot that Rondell Moore could land in that he would no longer be a tier one consideration for you? Firstly, I'm not really overly concerned about injury. You guys know how I feel about injury, injury prone, not really my cup of tea. And when you look back at that injury, pretty fluky injury, and when he returned, he still had that same pop, that dynamism on film, according to Zach Reed. Now, what would it take for him to fall outside my top tier? Probably third round draft goal, fourth round draft goal. I don't think it's going to be that low. But if he's outside the top two rounds, the NFL draft, he's no longer in the same conversation with Chase for me. Honestly, it, it was a little bit of a push to move him all the way up there for me, but I am that bullish on Rondell Moore, and it's part of his value has him up there. But Chase is a separate animal, and I think it's a safer pick. But man, do I get really excited about Rondell Moore. But yeah, it, it, it would be outside the top two rounds for draft cap. Todd, your tier one was pretty easy to move through because it just contained Jamar Chase. What is it about Chase? Now, I know Dave said he doesn't factor in as much. I think you factor in a little bit more. We don't know the landing spots yet. We haven't seen combine numbers 40 times, anything like that. Why is it already clear to you that Chase just stands alone atop the mountain? Let's start off with just saying that Jamar Chase will be the first wide receiver off the board. If that doesn't happen, I will be shocked. Devontae Smith has an outside chance, and I just think that's the wrong pick. If he's not the first off the board, he's the second. So the draft capital will be there. And we all know the importance of draft capital. Landing spot, 
absolutely can change things, but I also think he's not a landing spot dependent guy for me. With Jamar Chase, I don't care whether you're part of the film community or the analytics community. You love Jamar Chase. He's bulletproof, elite production, and this guy outplayed Justin Jefferson. And look where that guy is now. He was the top dog with a guy that's considered the top dynasty wide receiver on some boards. Why wouldn't that guy be at the top of the list? And then the other thing that really gets me is for me, for Jamar Chase, because I'm a guy who likes to watch film, his athletic profile is disgusting. He's got the speed. He's got unbelievable body control. His high point catching is legit. Excellent feet. Lateral quickness. You see it on route. You see it after the catch. He's a yak beast. But he also makes people miss and breaks tackles. He literally is the prototypical wide receiver you would want. It's not the fact that the guys in Tier 2 I'm not high on. I just think that Jamar Chase is in a different class than everybody else in this. In this. But the number one skill that really, really translates for me with Jamar Chase is his strength. He is a straight-up bully to DBs. Hand play, guys are off him in a second. That hand play that refs let go down the field, he is winning it full stride as if he's immovable. He made A.J. Terrell look ordinary when he was last season. A.J. Terrell was a first-round draft pick. The way that he is able to be stronger than the defensive players, that's a rare level that you don't see in a lot of guys coming into the league. So on top of all the other things, the other pieces of the profile, the elite production, the draft capital, him being able to just be physical on day one in the NFL is so attractive. Jamar Chase is no-brainer for the top wide receiver in this class. I will say, Todd, I think this will make you happy. I took him, I was in a, a mock rookie draft. I took him at 101 in a single QB draft, PPR. 101. <sighs> love that pick. I, lo- I love it. So it's funny. I actually had my rankings, and I had the running backs over him, and that was just old hat. You want that running back. It's a scarcity of the position, particularly in this class. Etienne, Harris, Williams, and then it's like, it's a little more murky. Chase is, I think, my fourth in Superflex behind the top three QBs because of draft capital and that. Doesn't mean because I have him as the fourth rank that you shouldn't consider him at the fourth, like only the fourth pick. That comes down to roster construction and your own piece. Jamar Chafe is probably the second safest pick in this draft next to Lawrence. Todd, let's make it a Tail Two Rivals consensus 104 rank for Superflex. I was like embarrassed I had him at six. I looked at my rankings, I go, what am I doing here? I was upset. I had to change him during my lunch today. Yeah, I've been a big chase guy since before last draft, and I couldn't wait for him to come out. Big fan, Sean? Big fan, Sean? He had him at 106. Come on. Come on. <laughs> come on. That sounds like a warm fan. I rectified my, my mistakes, gentlemen, okay? That doesn't count for as much as you think here, Todd. Oh, screw you guys. Rectifying a mistake is still a mistake. He's, he's my number four ranked Superflex rookie now, behind three QBs. So... Yeah, I, Jamar Chase, man, class of his own. I will say though, Todd, I would take him at probably one hundred and two in certain in certain uh, in certain superflex drafts. Absolutely, man, absolutely. I mean, this all comes down to like roster construction. The other thing too is like that's the kind of guy that 
so there's two things you could do if you think about taking Chase at two. Who's at three and four? What do they need? And are you confident enough that you can move back two picks and still get him and, and take some capital? Because that's a reasonable move. But you're also taking a calculator risk. And that's just in you being confident if you know your competitors. But if you want Chase, you're at 102, and you don't want to take the risk, that is not a bad pick. It's not. If you took him 101 in a super flex, you're an idiot. Because you should trade back to 102 at the least. But yeah, Jamar Chase, baby. All day. All right, moving into the tier two, the tail two rivals consensus rookie wide receiver tiers. We've got Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace, and Terrace Marshall, which I learned again from Rookie Fever is Terrace and not Terrence. Sure. Yeah, you're right. I've been calling him Terrence. Like- I had too. Yeah, wild stuff. Dave, we're going to start with you on a highlight question here. I think. Out of the three of us, you're the most bullish on Tylen Wallace. I know he's come up before in past episodes, and we all kind of like him in that middle of the second area. You know, you get the 205, 206, 207. That's a great pickup there. But it seems like you're putting him higher than that. Why are you bullish on him, and why are we wrong? Look, guys, I'm not going to throw any curveballs when it comes to evaluating college wide receivers. Tylen Wallace had excellent age-adjusted production. After James Washington leaves in his age 19 season with a new quarterback, Mason Rudolph had also graduated. Tylen Wallace broke out in a big way, eclipsing the 30% breakout threshold, and I believe had a 36% seasonal dominator rating, or 36% of his team's receiving yards and touchdowns combined. And it wasn't just a touchdown inflated dominator. It was balanced. He had matched the percentage of the receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. So very, very balanced profile. Peter Howard, in an upcoming Rookie Fever rookie profile on Tylen Wallace with me, he mentions how Tylen Wallace matches what James Washington did as a senior. Tylen Wallace did it as a sophomore with a lesser quarterback. Mason Rudolph graduated. So Tylen Wallace, excellent production. And then he was on his way to surpassing that in his junior season. And then he had the ACL tear. And that is what prevented him declaring after the 2020 season. So that's why Tom Wallace didn't, wasn't an early declare and why he's going to be age 22 rookie. However, when you compare Wallace's career to successful NFL wide receivers in college, Tom Wallace's matches that, looks very good in that department. And then you look at how he does to other wide receivers from his conference, far exceeds what's expected. So Tom Wallace has an amazing profile. And I almost forgot, a 0.93 Yards per team attempt, career average. That's extremely good. Man, do I love me some Tom Wallace. Whew, and man, there's so much to like about him. Oh yeah, and then he came back early from that ACL tear and dominated this year. So love me some Tom Wallace. And that's why I'm so bullish on him because of his age adjusted production. But you know, you throw these numbers around, you throw the real low breakout age around everything else you said, and it's giving me flashbacks to last year and listening to you talk about Tyler Johnson, Brian Edwards, pre-draft. Any concerns that he might go that same way? That's funny you mentioned Brian Edwards because I have a similar emotional reaction when I look at Talon Wallace's profile and I see where he's going in rookie drafts because I felt like Brian Edwards was undervalued last year. Brian Edwards had some injury concerns. Talon Wallace has some injury concerns in his profile. I have a similar feeling that he's undervalued. And I actually didn't realize that he was only 190 pounds. I thought he was a lot bigger than that. So that's what happens. 200 plus? 
I thought was, I thought he was like 6'3", 220. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, the funny thing about Wallace is when you're looking for Wallace for his his size, his height, everybody has something different. I've seen him 5'11", 6'1". I've seen him at 185, 190, 195. He's a guy who, like, everybody's got a different measurement for. It's really interesting. That was the highlight guy that Joey and I were talking about last night. We both loved Wallace. He's got it all, man. Dave, 47% market share, man, his junior before he went down, bro. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, Todd. When you look at Town Wallace's career, it stacks up very well to successful NFL wide receivers, and it does very well compared to other wide receivers from this conference. That makes me think he has a very solid floor. And then if he hits my draft cap projections of high day two draft capital, then he's going to be right here in this tier for me. If it slips to third round to fourth round, he's going to fall. He's going to go into the the either the early third tier for me or towards the end of that third tier. But I love me some Tom Wallace. I think he's going to be a very solid NFL wide receiver with the potential to be better than I even think because of his production profile. That is awesome because... Same reasons for me, but that's why he's at the top, teetering into the second tier. He's the top of my tier three. And it's because I'm not sure of his ceiling. Love his floor. So you're looking at a guy who's a phenomenal all-around wide receiver. He's good to solid at everything. Excellent route runner. Best thing about him is when this guy gets hit, he catches the ball. Perfect diamond. Not a body kit. Out catching the ball the right way. Three years of elite production. His knocks for me is stay healthy, not part of his game, right? And then continue to just get bigger, faster, stronger, being a professional. And I'd like to see him be a little bit better on the yak. That's it. And to me, it's just kind of like, I don't really know what his ceiling is. And once draft capital comes into play, that's going to change things a lot for me. I love Wallace Day. Love him. I paid a little bit more attention to Debbie Prospects two years ago. And up until Tom Wallace's injury, I had him very high up among the other wide receivers from the 2020 class. He might have been a top-tier wide receiver for me if he declared as an early declare after two dominant seasons at Oklahoma State. However, the injury and, and, and how it shakes out now, he's a solid end of my tier two wide receiver in this class. Fantastic. So, Todd, taking a look at your tiers, you have... Devonta Smith down towards the bottom of tier two. Now, it's not hard to find people's rankings, whether you're on a site, whether you're on Twitter, wherever you may be listening to a podcast where he's the wide receiver one. People are very impressed by this past season, the Heisman. Dave was just saying that, you know, one of you was just saying there's an outside chance he goes as the wide receiver one in front of Chase. It's unlikely. I think it's also the wrong pick, like you said, but I mean, who called Henry Ruggs as the first receiver last year, right? So why doesn't Devonta Smith, for you, not only does he not crack into your tier one, you don't even have him as one of the three best receivers in this class. Why not? What aren't you buying? So the two guys I have in front of Smith are Moore and Bateman. I'm not going to go into Moore because pretty much I agree with everything Dave says. Dave and I are on the same page with Moore. Freaking love Moore. Now, I got Bateman a smidge ahead of Smith. So when you look at Bateman's profile and you look at his sophomore production, remember that Tyler Smith had more receiving yards than him. They both were top 10 receivers that year in in yardage in the NCAA. And when you watch him on film, he is a big wide receiver at 6'2", about 2'10", 
outstanding route runner, great athlete for that size. But I like guys, he's got enough agility to make you miss, and he's he's got great vision for finding that next piece, but he can break tackles down the field. And I like the idea of Bateman's makeup a more than Smith. Dave and I had a conversation about like BMI not mattering and by size. So in this conversation, yes, I'm with Dave. I'm like, I'm not going to be huge about that. But when you're talking about Bateman's size for Smith's size, and I got them side by side in production, that's what's going to give me the bump with Bateman. But this is the kind of spot with Smith and Bateman where draft capital and landing spot can completely dictate who I have in front of who. So right now, just based off pre-draft, I got Bateman like right in front of Smith, but Smith's not far behind. I like Devontae Smith. I think a lot of people are unsleeping on him. There's just three guys I like more than him. And it's not a knock on Devontae Smith. It's more of a compliment to the draft class depth at wide receiver. So what do you think the best and worst case draft scenarios for Smith are? New York Giants uh, would be a terrible, terrible spot for him. And then, honestly, the best, and everybody keeps saying it, it'd be phenomenal for him to land in Miami. I I think that him and Tua have already played together. They were productive. I think Tua's playing style fits very well to Devontae's playing style. Devontae's the kind of guy that he could definitely make go down the field and stretch the field, but he makes a living in those intermediate, like, shorter routes and then doing something after the catch. So, yeah, I, I think Miami would be a dream decision. I just don't think it's the right pick for Miami. Yeah, I agree there. I think that's a, that's a terrible pick for them. Again, we bashed mocks to pieces. That keeps coming up for them, it seems like, because everyone's playing out the Alabama connection. Right, but the point is, is, like, just because we think it's a bad pick for Miami doesn't mean it's bad for Devontae Smith. Agreed, yeah. Todd, do you think this is the most interesting tier in the draft? Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, this tier, like when you're looking at it, I think landing spot and draft capital is really going to fluctuate everything. So that's like for me, like why I have Jamar Chase in like tier one by himself is because he's the only guy that like that really doesn't matter to me. There's nothing that's going to change me with Jamar Jamar Chase being at the top. I'd be surprised if Rondell Moore is not my wide receiver too, but capital and landing spot could change that. Same thing with Bateman, same thing with Smith. Same thing with Waddle, even. If Waddle ends up in a perfect situation, Waddle's a hell of an athlete, and he is an animal on the football field. If he ends up in, like, Green Bay, that's juicy for Jalen Waddle. This is the most intriguing part because they're all fantastic prospects. We got to see draft capital. We got to see landing spots. Todd, that's ludicrous. We, know, we all know Green Bay is going to draft another quarterback in round one. They're taking Kyle Trask. Of course. 100%. All right, so... Let me ask you this. Your tier two, in order, is more Bateman, Smith, and Waddle. Who's got the most to gain? Who's got the easiest path to jump up into tier one based on landing spot? And who's got the most to lose? Who is the shakiest of these to be in tier two that the landing spot doesn't go great and they slide back? I think Waddle is probably the best bet to slide back. Because I, I think that Waddle is a kind of guy where the production wasn't there. The athleticism shows up on film. I don't think the Henry Ruck comparisons are remotely fair. I love Jalen Waddle, man. If he doesn't get the right landing spot and the draft capital is not what we think it should be in the first round, like he ends up in the second round, not in a great spot, he could kind of slide back and you could start seeing, you know, some other considerations. And like Mac Jones, like moving up in QBs might push him back too. I think Jalen Waddle is most likely to slide. I honestly don't see anybody going to tier one for me with Chase, like I'm that bullish on Chase, but the guy I think it have the best spot is more. 
if Moore ends up in a situation where he's got a great quarterback and he's got, if he gets like a great situation where he could be just monopolizing that slot position and he's going to get a creative pass offense that's going to utilize him in the right ways, he's got a hundred catch potential, hundred percent. I definitely took that from Zach Reed from the the profile, but I hundred percent agree with it. Him ending up in that spot, I think Zach said Buffalo for Moore was his landing spot, and I I couldn't agree with that more. That that's a fantastic. He ends up in Buffalo. There's huge potential for more. So I say more has the most of the game. Fantastic. Dave, same question over to you because you got your tier two is a little slimmer. You've got Rashad Bateman, Devonta Smith, and Tylen Wallace. Who's got the most to gain? Who's got the most to lose? I had trouble with my tier two a, a little bit just because I feel so bullish on Chase and more. And then I, I really have a almost, I would almost say an emotional attachment to Wallace. So I'm trying to temper that because I, when I look at the, the numbers, you know, he is an older player, will be age 22 rookie. So it's, it's tough to balance that out. But I actually had, I thought about Bateman for a long time. I was lower initially on him when I did in a quick initial rundown a couple weeks ago, but I've, I dove into it more. And the thing with Bateman is he, it's, it's a complete profile. It really is without knowing athleticism, without knowing draft capital. And I don't know how he really plays to be, oh, actually, I know a little bit about how he plays. That's not true. But he broke at age 18. And age 19, he passed a 30% threshold. He got better as his season went on, extremely efficient, over one uh, one yard per team attempt throughout his career. And he's just a well-rounded wide receiver, according to what Zach Reed says. Todd might want to elaborate that a little bit more. He talked about his size, his ability to break down the, down the uh, break tackles down the field. I like that. John Lobb on Rookie Fever with Swags talked about uh, Rashad Bateman, and he loves Rashad Bateman. And I, I really respect John Lobb a lot. And he was his wide receiver too. I I thought about pushing Bateman up to my tier one, but some of the things that happened with Tyler Johnson in the NFL had me concerned. Is the NFL going to give him the love that Twitter has right now was a question. So there was a couple concerns there, but I really am curious what was happening with Bateman. I, w- I want to like him more, but I felt like having him at in the tier two was probably best at this point. The biggest knock on Bateman right now is, is that what he did this year. The season before, he had over 1,200 yards, and he's averaging 20 yards a catch. This year, he had two touchdowns, 11 the year before, 13 yards a catch, 472 yards. It was a weird year. Minnesota was garbage this year. It was just a bad year for Minnesota. But what Bateman is, he is unbelievably quick for a man his size. But the thing that makes him special is the way that he separates off the line. His release is unbelievable. He's able to get space from the D-backs, but also, like, he's the kind of guy that, if he's only getting a separate two, he knows how to be able to frame. He knows how to be able to shield himself. Like, he's the kind of guy that, like, he's got the profile athletically that you don't expect in a guy that size, but he also knows how to use his size. And he also, he is agile. Like, he can make people miss, but he's a good physical player that can break you down. But Dave's right. That's the reason why he's my three in a wide two is that, I mean, in the tier two is because there's so many questions about him right now. And until we start seeing the capital in the landing spot, you know, I think that's fair to put him there. I think just putting Rashard Bateman as your wide receiver one is insane. That's the one thing I'm not going to get on board with. You want to put him two? I'm cool with that. He's not over Chase. That's ridiculous. And just the last thing, because I know Todd talked about Smith a little bit, and I, I liked a lot what he said. The thing with Smith was for me is I have a ton of respect for his peak production later in his career. He still had the 20 year, the 20 age breakout, which meets a threshold. 
He's probably going to get the draft capital. Insane production, incredibly efficient. Film people love him. And like I said, don't care about the BMI. Was very productive for the SEC. And he meets, and he's right there as far as his NFL production, or compared to NFL wide receivers who are successful. So there's a lot to like about Smith. The only thing is, I don't think I'll ever be able to put him in my tier one. Do I think he has the potential in the NFL to be a tier one player? Yes, I just think because he's a, a little bit later breakout, there's a couple of questions for me about his overall profile that I think there's some risk in his profile that will always prevent him from being in my tier one, but he could be my wide receiver three in this class. If everything broke right for him, I'm not sure he's there for me right now, but that's what his ceiling in my ranks are at this moment, probably. So before we move on, I love doing the show with you guys in the way that Dave and I are talking about this tier. You need to be able to keep in mind the realm of possibilities. Everybody is putting their takes into stone in February on Twitter. It's just so unnecessary. Dave's right. Like That's a perfect take on Smith. But I, I just want to applaud for us to be able to explore the possibilities. You got to stay fluid. And, and Sean and Todd, I actually think my process has grown a little bit. I would have been a lot further out on Smith in years past. There's a lot to like about him and not to get hung up on one thing about his profile. And I'm sorry, guys. People need to look up people who want to believe in BMI. I urge them to go look up type one, type two, null hypothesis. Also look up survivorship bias and residuals from draft capital. I think that pretty clearly sums up what people are getting when they find BMI to be useful. I'm sorry, it just doesn't matter that much. It just doesn't. Give me age-adjusted production any day, any time. Yeah, I think there were some people when you were on Hamburjacks that chimed in that your BMI process was not always like that. I don't remember who it was, but somebody definitely pointed out to some earlier episodes of Tale of Two Rivals that he was not always like that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, and you know what's funny? On the Hammercast, Todd, I think you might have signed off for it. I stood up. I almost literally got out of my chair and I shouted from the rooftops while there's a, a Kev, the film guy, John Bauer. He's kind of a, a man of many, many hats. Has a lot of a wide, he's a Mr. Value. He's got, he can do rookie scouting. He likes, you know, he talks to all the top film people. I was the person who stood up on my chair and shouted from the rooftops, Devonta Smith, come to Spaceman Spreadsheets. So yeah, take that, all you <laughs> analytics haters. I love it. All right, you guys ready to jump into tier three? Yeah, I think, I, I, I think, I, I think we're good now. <laughs> all right. So tier three is populated by Amon Ra St. Brown. Hands down the coolest name in this draft. Followed by Diami Brown, Elijah Moore, Kadarius Tony, and Seth Williams. So looking at our individual tiers, Dave, Jalen Waddle falls right down in the middle of your tier three. Why the tumble? Prior to his injury in the four games he did play, he racked up 557 yards and four touchdowns. That's a pretty insane pace for a quarter of the season. You know, he was a guy, he looked like he would outshine Devonta Smith this year. And then, of course, he goes down. He misses most of it. He comes back for the playoffs. Why aren't you buying in? Guys, I'm not sure if you remember this, but last year in August, I did a series on the anatomy of non-breakout wide receivers or wide receivers who did not have a breakout age. And what I did was, is I took all non-breakout wide receivers and I tried to find similarities that they shared. And then I took and I looked at all the successful non-breakout wide receivers and I looked at the similarities they had. Now, quickly, what I found was that 
successful non-breakout wide receivers or wide receivers that didn't have a breakout age, they never really had a dud season, but then they never re- they never had the great season that passed the breakout threshold. They hovered between usually 10% and the 20% seasonal dominator rating. Jan Waddle had three seasons over a 10% dominator rating at Alabama. He showed return ability in college. Successful non-breakout wide receivers also had dynamism. He was extremely efficient. He had a 0.73 yards per team attempt, and I've been told he's athletic, which is also common with successful non-breakout wide receivers. So you can make an argument, besides just squinting and saying that he could have had a breakout age if he stayed healthy, of how John Waddle can be successful. So those are all things you want to look in for a non-breakout wide receiver to be an outlier, because everyone's telling me he wants to be an outlier. And it's kind of funny, every season, people keep telling me these players are outliers. Okay, I hear you. So I'm going to put him in my tier three knowing that he has some upside, but I'm just not willing to take the risk of where I need to to spend draft cap on him because I think he's probably going to be going either the mid to late first round or early second round. I think there's safer picks for me to take. So that's kind of how I approach Jalen Waddle. Even with that draft capital that you just said, which sounds impressive for a guy in your tier three, what, what's, the, what's the best case scenario for him that might make him rise in your rankings? Even if he's the first wide receiver taken in this draft, he cannot get to tier two for me. He could become the top of my tier three players, but just because of the risk of his profile. And there's the, I think the, the best part about this class is, and we're talking about our tiers, there's a lot of different types of players. There's players, the analytics guys, guys, like there's the waddles that a lot of film people like in past classes. We haven't necessarily had that, but there's a real a nice buffet where I'm happy going for the guys that I want that we've already talked about. And I'm totally happy. If someone else goes for Jalen Waddle, I'm not going to criticize them. I'm just going to say, I don't want to take that risk right there. Fair enough. All right, Todd, speaking of risk, likewise to Dave, you have a guy that's kind of a Twitter darling checking in in the middle of your third tier. So Kadarius Toney posted 70 receptions for 984 yards this year in 10 touchdowns. And I know we knocked the hell out of him to open the show. But there are a lot of mock drafts, and I don't want to use this as the crux of my argument. It's only to serve as an example that have him going towards the back of the first round. Why aren't you buying it? And not because of the mocks. Talk to me about the stats. Talk to me about him. Why is he not in your second tier? Why is he not even towards the top of your third tier? So the reason why he's not going to be a first round, back end first round pick in the NFL draft is because there's better wide receivers. Flat out. First off, let's talk about the numbers. So he had 70 receptions his uh, senior year. Uh, Yeah, that's 20 more than the other three years combined. So you're talking about one year of production out of the four. If he was so great, it's kind of like Dave says typically, like, why didn't you see it sooner, right? On top of that, he's an electric player. You cannot deny that he is a phenomenal electric slot out of there. But he doesn't really run a great amount of routes he's a guy that's kind of like you find like a dump or like a screen or just a little short over the middle route and then you let him go to work afterwards people are just obsessed with the idea of somebody being the next Tyree kill for what I add actually catches the ball much further downfield than Tony would right so to me it's just kind of like he could be a good pick but the capital and that landing spot is completely dependent on what he is. Everybody is romanticizing with one-year production with a guy who's really athletic. 
and he really needs to be in the right system to be a good pro. That's it. If he ends up in a place that I like him in, I might. Yeah, I'm surprised every time I see him that high, whether it's rankings, whether it's a mock. It's shocking to me every single time. Those people Mm. watch highlights flat out. Those people watch highlights. Tony or Tooney, whatever the frig his name is, toenail. I almost didn't even want to put him in any of my tiers just to make a statement. Love it. Did you put him in any? I think I put him in four, but I if no, I didn't. he's not there. Oh, good. See? Look at that. My, <laughs> perfect. Well, let's go back to why Tooney is in my tier three. It's because I'm giving myself the respect of being wrong. <laughs> because I do understand what kind of profile he has in the right spot. That's why he's in my three. It's because like I'm just giving respect to the idea of like, because I don't like him, I can't see him fitting and in, fitting into that tier. That's pretty much it. He's the guy in this tier that has the biggest edge to slide down for me. There you go. If I can, I will jump off on my favorite guy out of this tier, and it's Elijah Moore. Elijah Moore is the more with more value. And that's because Rondell Moore is a better player, and you're going to have to use a first-round draft pick to get him. Elijah Moore, you're looking at him at... Oh, man, if you really want to get bullish, like 202, 203. But realistically, in Superflex draft, you probably get around like 205, maybe. His freshman year, he had 36 catches, 400 yards, and two TDs. He had 10 more receptions in DK. And, like, A.J. Brown was there. That's significant production with those two guys there. Those guys, you know. So then his sophomore year, he breaks out, you know, 30, you know, like almost 37% of the market share. This year, he freaking exploded. 86 yards, almost 1,200 receptions. His feet, unbelievably quick. Can get seat, like cornerbacks off balance to the point that they're falling. Great route runner. Love the idea of him in the slot. But what makes him special are those freaking hands, man. These has outstanding hands. Perfect diamond. Catches away from his body. Does not make body catches often. Comes down with the ball on contact. Tracks the ball well downfield. He's a complete wide receiver when it comes to being able to catching balls and adjusting. But the thing, the two things that really stuck out to me is I watched his Alabama film, which obviously if you want to see somebody play well, see what they do against Alabama. Early third quarter in that game, there's a ball three inches from the ground. He's on like a 20-yard sprint. He reaches down with both his hands to about his shoelaces Catches him like his freaking hands are glue in full stride with his arms fully extended. And the ball doesn't bounce at all. That's strong hands. Fourth quarter, double move, deep route, tracking the ball extremely well. Just his ball midair to the catch. Gets absolutely leveled by Jordan Battle. Catches the ball, full extension, perfect timing, out straight. Comes down with it, zero bobble. That's an NFL receiver, dude. On top of all the things I liked about him before I drove into the film, I like him even more now. Honestly, the knocks to him are just, I'd like to see the agility a little bit more after the catch. He actually is a guy who likes to try to run through guys a little too much. And the biggest worry I have about him is when a DB gets a hand on him, it's almost game over. And that's coachable to me. I love Elijah Moore, man. And I think he's a phenomenal value. I just want to say, Todd, Elijah Moore, I am very high on him as well production age adjust production broke out at age 30 or sorry age 30 broke out past the 30 Woo! the 30 percent threshold at age 19 extremely efficient dominating numbers 
And if you want to give me a teammate argument, I will listen to it on this one because it's two top five wide receivers in Dynasty, essentially. Exactly. It's DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown. That, and he still produced. I think DK was injured for a little bit of that year still. So get out of here with this average to good NFL wide receiver teammates. Don't want to hear it. Yeah, I'll hear it for two top five Dynasty wide receivers. And on top of that, after they left at age 19, he broke out past 30% breakout threshold. He had excellent career average, 28.6 seasonal dominator rating, one yard per team attempt average for his career, far surpasses the necessary thresholds for production. And Zach Reed says he's the best hands in this class, probably projects as a slot receiver, great yak, excellent versus own, struggles like Todd says against press, and maybe not quite a wide receiver one ceiling, but he's going to be a very productive NFL wide receiver, and I really like what Todd was saying about him. All right, who else from this class, guys? Who do you like? Sound off. Todd, who you got? Dave, who you got? And why? I've been doing a decent amount of film on this tier. And Deami Brown nosedived for me. And the reason is, the word to describe him for me after that is one-dimensional. He averages over 20 yards a catch because he really is truly a deep ball specialist. Fierce competitor, loves to mix it up. He's got unbelievable body control with those deep passes. However, he is not good on short intermediate routes. Like, a lot of drops. A lot. And I'm not even talking dropping with contact. I'm saying dropping when nobody's touching him. And he doesn't run clean routes. They're very rounded. And when you watch him come out of his release and his breaks, if he's running a deep route, he looks like more focused, kind of. Like you could see him like come off with more bursts. When he runs those shorter ones, it's not the same. I, and he doesn't really make people miss. He screams to me like a touchdown dependent wide receiver. Because if you want to rely on a guy to catch a bunch of deep balls, like that's not an efficient player in fantasy. And ideal dream spot for him, Indy with like Wentz throwing bombs. And he's like a boom bust play. And maybe he can improve. Yeah, man. He he can he does not play well in the short game. He will not move sticks in the NFL with what I saw, and that's very concerning. I hear what you're saying, Todd. When I look at Dimey Brown, I like a lot about his profile. Early declare, three year player coming out at age twenty, will be a twenty one year old rookie. A lot to like. Has decent college age adjusted production. However, when you compare that production to his college conference, Below average when you look at the conference, and also not quite where you want him to be compared to other successful NFL wide receivers. However, still a solid prospect from an analytical age adjusted production lens. So I like Misa Dimey Brown, but I, I hear what you're throwing down. But I do like his value in drafts. He, he's he's going to be a guy that you're going to get in the late to late second round, mid third round, depending on drafts, especially on his. His draft capital, I like taking risk at that spot, at that point for that profile. Now, but if I was going to say guys that I like, I, I don't mind Amon Ross St. Brown. I, I think he's got a, an interesting profile. Some people, some warts, I think, or some people aren't as high on him. I don't get into too much, but I, I like it enough. I want to nail out my sleepers right now, but I'm going to hold off my sleepers for another ap- episode. But I will just say Tutu Atwell looks interesting from a numbers perspective, but there's some things like a couple of things like he's going to be an age 22 rookie, uh, age 22 rookie. 
and he didn't eclipse the 30% threshold until age 20, but he was efficient. There's there's things I like about Tutu Atwell and where you can get him that intrigues me. So that's kind of someone that we haven't talked about yet that I, I like. And then also Seth Williams is an interesting guy, but nothing. He doesn't flash. Just seems like a solid production profile. And I think that kind of covers everyone that I'm really... Terrace Mitchell, I'm not as high as other people on him. I'm willing... I'll take him later in the second round. I'm not going to pay up to get him, so I'm most likely not going to have him on my teams. But I'm not going to hate on someone who who loves him. So I will not get into Tutu because I love Tutu at his value, and we'll save that for another bigger sleeper cover because I'm with you on that, so I'm going to hold on that one. Uh, I love Deami if he's a late second, early third. I agree with that. People are not projecting him as that in a lot of dra- in a lot of mocks. I've been in a few mocks where I'm getting like Elijah Moore over Deami Brown later, and I'm like, okay, I'm cool with that. You <laughs> give, know, give me Elijah Moore every day. Every exactly. Day. So like, it, that's the guy that I'm like, I I don't get it. And I am like, there's a couple people that said analytics wise, he like measures up. I'm I'm willing to listen to the argument. I just the film did not speak to me. But the the only other guy, so the two other guys I wanted to touch about in this tier. Where, like, you brought up one of them with Seth Williams, and the reason I want to bring up Seth Williams is, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. He, he seems like he's got a great athletic, pro- like, a good size, athletic profile, and all that. You know, it, the production's been a little pedestrian, but I, I don't know what you guys know about Auburn, but Bonick sucks. He's a terrible passer. He's so bad. So, like, his QB is just is not an accurate passer. So, that's something I don't hold against him, which makes it maddening. But I think the guy who I actually think has the most value in my tier is the guy at the bottom and is Tamarion Terry because I think he has the definition of a risk-reward pick. He could absolutely be a bust or he could just be a boom, man. Unbelievable athleticism, phenomenal after the catch, massive, massive target. He, He had college production, some attitude problems, some injury problems. But the value's there. There's no way he's not a third-round pick. And I'm eating that up all day in the third round, dude. All right, guys. Closing arguments time. We've hit you with tiers one through three, what we like, what we don't like. Who's your best value? I want to know as we close it out. Tiers one, two, and three. One player overall, not one per tier, just one player. Who's the best value going in your tiers? And then tell them where they can find you. Tell them what you got going on. Dave, hit us with it. Interesting question. I think I'm going to go with who Todd talked about right there at the end. And I kind of followed up with it. I think Elijah Moore probably as a production floor and where he's going in drafts. And I think he's going to get decent draft capital. I like, I don't think he's going to, I think he's just going to get at least day two draft capital. I like where he pro like where he fits at the NFL level. I, his production profile, breakout age. His skill set, I think that Todd talks a lot about how he thinks he can be coached up about getting released on the outside. I think from what I've heard from Zach, Zach Reed, what he said is that he profile prototypes as a perfect NFL slot wide receiver. And I, I kind of like that. Can he? And I think Todd mentioned how he can get down the field and catch deep balls. I think you can do that in the slot. So I really like what Elijah Moore's floor and potential. I could see like the way he profiles, he kind of feels like a he has like a mid wide receiver two kind of upside. And where he's going, I kind of like that. Love it. Tell them where they can find you. Tell them about all these podcasts you're cheating on us with. You can 
you can find me always and forever on A Tale to Rivals, this very podcast. Also find me at Rookie Fever Podcast. We're doing a bunch of fun stuff talked about at the beginning of the show, but make sure to check out all of our specific rookie profiles and just our, our weekly shows. We're getting a lot of engagement. It's been a lot of fun. And just ch- check out, you know, check me out on Twitter. Check me out, check out the at FF underscore Spaceman on Patreon as well. A lot of free content. Going to probably hit a bunch of stuff over the weekend as well. And I just want to end with this. Remember, we are going through a crazy time in our history as humans or as a country, as a planet. There's a lot of stress. A lot of people come to this fantasy community for a lot of different reasons. I love coming here to learn. I love how many awesome people I've met over at DLF, at DFF, at Dynasty Happy Hour, the Contender Connection crew, my happy hour buddies. You guys are awesome. What I really love about the fantasy community is when we lift each other up, when we see what other people are doing, we give them compliments and we lift them up and we focus on camaraderie, on making each other better analysts and having a freaking fun time because this is what it's all about. Remember, be kind, think about what everyone is going through and just be good people like my friends here, Sean and Todd. Really love you guys. Had a lot of fun tonight. I wholeheartedly agree. I love you, Miles Garrett. Uh, best value for wide receiver at any tier is, it's funny, the guy that Dave um, put at a tier ahead of me, uh, Tywin Wallace, man. I think Tywin Wallace has the most to gain. I think he's the safest pick. I think he's going to be like an early second rounder. I, I think that he's an unbelievable value. So for finding me, you can find me at FF underscore Banterman on Twitter. Uh, I'm more than happy to give you tips on your jump shot if you want to send me a video, and I will not be telling you, bot- wishing you bodily arm. Um, I am still grinding away on the IDP guys rookie magazine profiles, and we got a phenomenal, talented cast that we've teamed up with the Dynasty Vipers, who might I add is crushing it with their podcast later. Go follow all the guys in Dynasty Vipers. Unbelievable stuff they're putting out right now. Also at the IDP guys, I highly recommend you go look and look for subscriptions. Very affordable options. I got rankings on there for Debbie, Superflex rookies, and even a list of high school seniors, which is like my calling, of the 2024 rookie class. That's a thing of the 2024 Debbie class, the incoming freshmen. That is not like easy things to find. Uh, I'll be having upcoming appearances on the IDP update again with Joe, and I'll be on Hammer Jacks with Kevin in a few weeks. But I wanted to give one plug to what is m- one of my favorite communities that I am a part of right now. And it is the Devi Deep Dive Dashboard uh, that Brandon puts on, man. Brandon Wajun just does phenomenal stuff. I was on there. I did just um, a subscribers-only like film dive. It was a blast with Skip Newton, who works for the NFL Draft Bible with that's with SI now. Like, just great stuff, man. 20 bucks. All he wants is a case of like Miller Lite. I don't judge him for his bad beer taste, but unbelievable community, mock drafts, d- banter all over about Devi. If you play Devi and you are not a part of that dashboard, you're missing out. He will be coming on the rookie profile series to do a rookie profile, Todd. So, and I mentioned to the to Fenero and Swags how much glowing praise you've had for him over the last couple of weeks when you mentioned him. So, yes, he'll be coming on. I love him, man. He's awesome. He's such a good dude, too, man. Like, hit, like his film stuff is just next level. Hey, anyways, all right. We are Tale of Two Rivals trying to spread the love. All right. Avoid your David Wilson picks, and we'll see you later.